Hi, everyone. This is Too Young to Be Old podcast with me, your host, Diane Gilman. Each week, my guests and I will share insights, advice, and more than a few laughs to empower and inspire women over the age of 50 who really need to embrace the aging process. We want to encourage you to pursue your passions and dreams no matter what decade you're living. Too Young to Be Old podcast is intended to educate, empower, and foster connection with our community. Please note that this podcast is not a substitute for medical advice or care. So with that said, let's settle in, get comfortable, and let's get started. Hi, everybody. This is Diane Gilman. Podcast is Too Young to Be Old. And I want to ask you all a question. As a child, you watch your father try to murder your mother. Would you get over it and actually become a spiritual healer for millions of women? Well, our guest today, Felicity Nicole, actually did just that. And I will also say, because her story is so compelling to me, I am actually going to start to tell you a little bit about my innermost personal story that I never even put in either book one or book two, Too Young to Be Old. So, Felicity, this is quite a life you've led. If you don't mind, let's start with what was it like witnessing your father try to murder your mother? How old were you? I was 10. I was just a baby. Yeah. And and the kicker was how I handled the situation. And I speak about this a lot in the book and in many podcasts is, you know, there's four of us. I'm one of four siblings. Um, the oldest is 11 years older than me. And then there's three of us that are all kind of compounded together. And so when that happened to happen that one night, I walked out into the hallway and as a typical, I think, 10-year-old response would be to see your mom's head split wide open with blood pouring. Oh, yeah. So a typical 10-year-old response would be like, oh my God, my mom crying, whatever. And instead, I grabbed toilet paper from the bathroom next door to me and I walked up to her very calmly and I just started dabbing the blood away and I said you know what it's going to be okay it's going to be okay so that was my first inclination that I knew well I didn't know but that that I was going to step into the role as a healer because that's Ah. average 10 year old's response hardly and then you got into a marriage according to your book that was alcohol-fueled, traumatic, day by day. What was that like? Because I know for me, in the experiences I had as a young child in my house, where actually your mother was a victim, I was a victim, and I'll explain that. Um, There was no way I was ever in my early youth or even through middle age going to have a normal relationship. I saw every relationship as... You wanted to lean on the man, you wanted to believe in the man, but you always chose people that were abusive because that's what you grew up with. Same for you? That's what I speak about in the book. It's called repeating patterns or generational trauma. And so I was groomed as 
in my family, we're all groomed into rules. We all have family systems. If you think about it, everybody operates differently. Some families will encourage growth and opportunity and support and encourage. My family, however, didn't do that. So I was groomed into the hands of my first husband, meaning I didn't have any expectations of what a man should treat me like. Because when my dad left, the abuse continued with my siblings. Like, so we just learned to toxically outlet the abuse on one another. It's just, we didn't have any other. Whoa. Yeah. So there was no therapy. There was no, let's talk about this. It was just, who's going to beat up who first and... It was, wow. So my, God bless him. I love my older brother dearly. And I think he's a very successful husband, father, man. But he dealt with this the hardest way. And his outlet was beating me up constantly. So. And I never think of that with brothers and sisters. Oh, yeah. He would, yeah, it's just, unfortunately. So he took over the, he took over the mantle of being the authoritarian. Yeah. As, as the elder male. Well, my father and mother told me when I was about seven that I was their physical property to do with as they wished. And when you say that you were groomed into marrying your first husband, their grooming of me did not work, and therein lay the problem. I, from the time I was in, really a toddler, picked up a pen, pencil, drew a stick figure girl, put in some curly hair, drew in a little triangle dress, punched it with polka dots. I was obsessed and destined to be a fashion designer. So when I got to be 18... My parents had tried and tried to talk me into and and blocked all my education. I got a four-year scholarship to the Sorbonne. They burnt up the letter. Mm. They didn't want me in fashion. They didn't want me working. Mm. The only work I could do was go to school long enough, a college long enough, to find a husband and get married while I was really still a teen. And That was the last thing on my mind. So my parents decided that the good thing to do with the cooperation of a rabbi was to sign me out into a mental hospital because I was resisting them and be in a mental hospital. And the other other thing was, as they related this to me, was that they were going to keep me locked in my bedroom, get a lock for the outside of the door, feed me my meals in there, no telephone in there, find a husband for me. And that was the other deal. If I didn't marry who they chose, then the mental hospital came next. So for you, so I just led a lovely childhood and I spent the next 30 years, 35 years, constantly trying to escape from them, both physically, emotionally, and mentally. You walked into a role set for you with a husband who really traumatized you. What was that like? And at what point were you motivated to say, you know what, I I can't do this anymore? Yeah, that's a great question. And I also want to circle back and talk about 
your family structure too, because there's a lot of key points that you mentioned that um, different generations, how we've handled oh, yeah. growth. So for me, I it was like 10 years of like, whoa, what just happened here? So you have to think, I met my husband, I was pregnant within two months. I Yes, I wasn't even sure if I wanted to marry him, but my mom was like, get the hell out and abandoned me at, you know, and so wow. I had to make the best of it and come to find out that he was a bipolar alcoholic. I did my best to shield my, my son. Um, there was that financial control and the emotional and mental usually starts first. They break you apart mentally. And so it took a long yeah. time for me to rebuild my self-confidence. And the breaking point for me was my parents both died in the year 2013. My dad died in two, um, in February. My mom died in June. So they died three months apart from wow. each other. They were considered my safe house, meaning that was where I could pack up my son when things got too scary and we could go spend the night at grandma's. So when my mom passed away, I knew I needed an escape plan. And so do we women do? We're crafty. I convinced my husband to buy the house across the street from my little brother that happened to be for sale. And I sold him on the financial aspect of it because he's all money. He said, we're going to save taxes. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. And he was, he loved all that. And he, so that was perfect. So now I had my safe house. Next was the escape plan. And that's where you have to, when you are somebody that's been abused emotionally, mentally, and physically your whole entire life, you really have to build yourself up just to have the courage to leave. That's the first layer. (laughs) There are so many layers to this. Um, and, you know, I, I'm just going to interrupt you for a minute. When when I left, I will never forget saying to my mother, oh, okay, great. So you're going to, in 1965, you're going to find a husband for me that I'm never going to meet until I get to the temple and we're at the altar. All of that sounds just great to me and locking me in my bedroom and reading all my mail and taking all my phone calls. But um, I'm really a little tense. Could I have the keys to my VW? And I just want to take a little drive before we all, three of us, because I was an only child, sit down for dinner. And I remember that boom, boom, my heart beating. Those were the seconds I was waiting for her to say, what do you need to leave for? You don't need your car. We're going to eat in a few minutes. And instead, and I'll never know why, she said, okay, here's your keys. And I thought, it's now or never. Mm -hmm. I have no money. I have no prep. I have no nothing. But if I don't get out now, I'm never going to get out. And I just did it. Oh, my God. And I remember my heart pounding. And that, to me, were the seconds going by while I was waiting for those keys to drop into my hand. And I felt like I was living with two insane. Yeah, I I felt like I was living with two insane people. Who would ever tell you this stuff and think in the mid-60s you were going to accept this? But I, I will tell you that very coincidentally, years later, I was employing... Uh, in New York City, a pattern maker, 
who was a Hasidic Jew and very religious, and her daughter, one of her daughters, the elder daughter, was in love with a Jewish guy who was not Hasidic and had, in fact, been divorced. And she was telling me the story that she went, she and her husband went to the rabbi, signed off, and put her daughter in a mental institution of which they were not going to let her leave until she agreed to marry someone of their choice, I fired her on the spot. I was enraged. So my life, I felt for a big part of my life that that whole escape thing, I just escaped from one bad relationship to another. Mm -hmm. That was, the. it was very hard to break the die that was cast. Did you feel the same way too? Um, not after I left, because I did the work. Huh. Yeah, so. Good yeah, for you. The, the icing on the cake for me was when my ex-husband, so I, if I didn't leave, I would have wound up dead. The, the reality of it is it got that physical. Really? Again. Yes. That's if I, so that's just domestic violence. There's a lot of women out there that just don't have the courage. And I, I hold them in my heart because I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones. Um, but the icing on the cake for me was when he was sleeping with a neighbor across the street and it was blatant. No. Single oh, mom no. with two kids and it was blatant. Blatant in my face. And it's in the book. Whoa. Blatant in my face. And I thought to myself, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. This is, it's just not worth it. So I set the date, got, a, got everything in plan, told everybody what I was doing except for my son. And it was the week before Thanksgiving, um, 2015, I think it was, 2016, 20, 2014. I don't remember the exact date. And the ice storm came. And after I paid the movers, I had 45 bucks to my name. And I was ecstatic because I had freedom, I had security, and I had peace. Whew. Yeah. And what did you do from there? And how did you get, for me... I think because as a child, I faced so many things that other children didn't face mm -hmm. and that also were so against the time period because I was telling you before we just went on air to record that, you know, I came out of the mid-50s and there was no sexual abuse ever discussed as being a child in a household. And all the shows on TV were... To completely foreign to my experience, like Leave it to Beaver and My Favorite Uncle, and, and the mother was always happy and adorable and smiling, and the father was always curmudgeonly but helpful. And, and here I am, and I spent literally every weekend with my father chasing me around the house with a butcher knife screaming, I'm going to kill you. Me locking myself into a bathroom, probably with no window and, of course, no cell phone. So you're just sitting there all day. Mm -hmm. And he would be pounding on the door and screaming, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I, as I said, I led a double life. I was a different person at school. Yeah. But they must have all thought I was really strange because I was always holding so much mm -hmm. inside. And so the one question I'm going to ask that's a little strange is your husband bought that house across the street from your brother that you went to. There was no problem with him owning it and you escaping into it? No. Wow. No. 
And did he ever come after you after you got out? So I sent him a text message and stated that we're close, but I oh, wouldn't give perfect. him a, I wouldn't give him the address. He eventually found out the address and I um at that time I was managing a veterinary clinic close by, so I was enough protected by the local PD that yes, would make sure that they were constantly doing drive-bys and I had order protection. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to tell you what. So when you have a domestic violence situation and you have an abuser on your hands and they want you dead. And it's funny because I just spoke to a woman on Saturday, similar to this situation. It doesn't matter what time, day or year. If they can get their hands on you, they will. And what I mean by that, uh, yeah. I was picking my son up a few years ago, right before I had to send my son away to a um, treatment facility in Utah to get his own healing journey figured out. And I had my brother-in-law there with me at nine o'clock at night. And I had my stepdaughter with me and my brother-in-law's a cop. And so that's why I called him over. And so he's sitting in the, in the window talking to my stepdaughter and I as we're waiting for my son. And the back door flies open and we just see all this stuff get shoved in. And my ex-husband's girlfriend saying, get out of here. He's mad. And next thing oh. know, is I have my ex-husband starting to lunge at me through the window. And thank, thank God for my brother-in-law because he knew exactly what to do. He just pushed him out of the way. He turned and looked at me and he says, get the hell out of here. Yeah. Well, I had, I don't know about you, whether you had nightmares or not, but for years and years afterwards, I could not sleep in a room with a dark closet. Somebody had to check that closet. The closet door had to be open. The light had to be on in the closet, and I had a recurrent dream that I would go to a market to buy food, bring out the bags, open up the trunk of the car. It's a little illogical, but my mother and my father would be crouched in the trunk of the car, mm -hmm. spring out on me, grab me. My father would start choking me to death, which was not an unknown experience and they would drag me off to a mental hospital and i had that recurrent dream of constantly being a fugitive from my own life for years year i mean till i was probably about 50 yeah that's ptsd that's what that is yep. that's total ptsd yes we all experience different forms of it so I will have, so as an energy healer, I'll just put this out there as an energy healer yeah. and an empath. I will still occasionally have dreams of my ex-husband. And basically what that is, is um, I could just feel his energy, his hate towards me. So they'll be, I'll have some nightmares every once in a while. And whether it's a message to prepare or, you know, be a little over cautious and be aware, you know. Uh, that's one thing that I've learned is to always have your guard up and be aware of your surroundings. But, you know, it also, I don't know about you, but it affected me in a way where my whole 
adult life as a female, I was always looking for a father. But of course, I always chose an abusive father because I grew up with an abusive let's father. Let's talk about and yes. oh well, let's talk about this. Um, I I chose men who it was just crazy wanted to control me, wanted to put me in a box and uh, order me to do this and that. And I always sort of rebelled, but I didn't know any different. I chose business partners that way too. And every single one of them saw me as someone, this is interesting. I've never thought about this before. As someone they could victimize. In other words, I was always a money maker. And I was always working so hard because I was always trying to prove myself, probably to myself. But um, I always chose male business partners, not female, and always male business partners who were very good at math, which I was not. And I always wanted to trust them because I wanted them to be my father, a father, a right father. And they always stole from me to the point where in 2017, 18, when I went into chemotherapy for breast cancer, from the day I went into chemotherapy, my current company started blatantly stealing from me, a fashion designer, a big $100 million a year retail and retail company. And it was devastating to me and I was 72 years old and still just repeating this little hamster on a treadmill of all different kinds of abuse because it's all I grew up with I, I never got formally married because I never thought I looked at marriage and I thought just like you said that marriage was abuse and war And I saw my mother not very happy, but not knowing what to do, no education, a child of the Great Depression. So, you know, she said to me one day, because I said, why are you married to him? She said, what do you think I can do? Look at my family and they look at me. I'm living in California, the promised land. I'm in my own house. I've got a swimming pool. I've got a Cadillac. I've got... 10 mink coats. You think I could go to my family and say, I've got to leave this man, take care of me. And she never did. Yeah, no. But I left. Yeah, there's no turning back once you leave people, just so you know, you cannot turn back. Yeah. And my the guy that I wound up spending 20 years with my longest relationship was also an energy healer, which is why I sort of reeled back when you said that. And he put me back together. Many, many, many little broken pieces. Who's your twin flame? So who? What? Who's your twin flame? What does that mean? Um, like a soul, Let's just say soulmate. Just sometimes we're yeah. contracted together. A whole other topic, whole other discussion. We're contracted together. And so his job was to come into your life to, to heal you and fix you. And then whatever you... Very much so. Whatever you were able to give to him. And then when that contract is up, you just go your separate ways with love. That I speak a lot about that as well, too. Yeah. I want to talk about the men that we choose because you hit the nail right on the head. So if uh, we don't do that, that work, that deep healing work that I preach about, we're going to keep continuing to pick men that we are only 
we'll, we, we only know, we only see, we only recognize it's our, it's almost like our vibrations will connect. So it's in our DNA, Diane, it's proven it's in our DNA, that generational trauma that, that will find and seek something else. And that father figure too, you hit it right on the head because I started doing the healing work after I left my ex-husband. Fast forward, I married again, and I'm still married. And I, this, he's an awesome man, but I'm very transparent in the book. Um, he's 17 years older than me. Yes. You know, uh, we are best of friends. He grounds me because he's a very common sense grounding energy where I'm a mile a minute. Uh, but there was a point where I was like, whoa, you've completely disappointed me. And it's not just me. It's the little girl in me. It's the, it's the young woman in me and it's your wife. And that's when I realized, like, I totally picked thinking that you were going to fulfill all these needs, wants, and desires. Huh. Yes. Huh. Yeah. So that was- and I gave up. I said to myself, especially I had a boyfriend, younger boyfriend, all the way up to breast cancer. Had him, uh, we were together in, you know, friends with benefits for about eight to 10 years. And the day I announced I had stage three breast cancer. Yeah. I, he couldn't handle it. It wasn't what I chose him for. Evidently it was, um, it definitely added to the party that suddenly you're feeling totally unattractive, completely assailed by mortality. And there goes love, which wasn't really love, but you sort of really knew it. So I also think that I chose men to keep them at a distance. And the one man I had who was my energy healer then passed on from, uh, he was my caretaker and my healer. And then halfway through the relationship, he had terminal cancer and I, we shifted and I became his caretaker. Oh, and healer. that's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's the gift. That's the energy exchange. And I, and then speaking of your second, the, the boyfriend that left, yeah. you don't, you, you didn't need that during that time when you're dealing with breast cancer. So it was almost a gift from God that he just blew up. It was, I, I, yeah. I was pretty sure that it was such a shallow and you give me and I give you and that's just it relationship. It, it didn't surprise me, but it definitely didn't add to a support system. That was for sure. So I need to ask you, this time has flown by. I wish this podcast was like six hours long between us. Felicity, what took you from a victim to a healer? And in what amount of time, we only have about five minutes left, but I want to know, and by the way, congratulations on your uh, international best-selling book, Pieces of Me. What took you from that position that most women wind up either addicted to drugs, addicted to alcohol, committing suicide, living outside the grid? What took you to being a successful energy healer and author, and quite frankly, inspiration for millions of women. Yes. Um, in five minutes, here we go. Uh, accountability. Yeah. Here we go. Accountability, holding yourself accountable for how you participated in the relationship because it takes two parties to keep that going. Number two, forgiveness. 
forgiveness for yourself and then working on forgiveness on, because I've forgiven. I love my ex-husband. I just want nothing to do with them. I love my current husband, but he still needs to figure out his stuff. I am doing me and I am taking care of my son and I am on a path of unstoppable success. And I tell you what, it's by far the most exhausting. You should understand what I'm talking about. You're a businesswoman, but by far the most rewarding. And I am currently in the process. I just signed the contract for my second book. Looks like it'll be published um, early spring next year. The Higher Consciousness. Fantastic. Yeah. Congratulations. You know, um, we were also talking, but you didn't know a lot of my background before the show began about how um, I, I gave up dating. I decided that my taste in men was so warped and terrible that my only safety zone was not dating at all. And then having breast cancer and going through all that kind of echoes that stance. And I'm just considering starting to date again with an opportunity in front of me that's pretty attractive. And, you know, my first thoughts are, I'll just screw it up. No, no. I'll just screw it up. Like, it'll just be why at 78 years old would I suddenly be successful with something that I wasn't able to manage my whole life? Like, I'm, I'm constantly thinking, no, 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 it's too dangerous. Oh, my God, it's going to be my father again. Uh, uh, terrible, huh? No, it shouldn't be. Shift your, shift your thought process, number one. So if, you, if we were coaching, gotcha. if we were to, client to, to what I do, shift your thought process. We'd get into digging. You got to be more vulnerable. You got to be willing to be open. You have to let that wall down. And you have to let your higher self, so you have to connect to her, which is that queen bee yeah. professional, and she does the picking of the men, not the broken, vulnerable girl. Yes. Yeah. We have archetypes. Who, yeah, I feel that when I was young, I, I was constantly also not only looking for a father, but choosing anybody. I was so angry at my father. I would choose anybody that was different from him. So honestly, at one point, Believe it or not, I was dating a hell's angel because that hell's angel was as different from my father as you could get, but still, honestly, had the characteristics, dangerous, volatile, misogynistic, yikes. Well, this was fascinating. Everybody, I'm sure you loved meeting Felicity and Nicole. Um, we'll tell you all about her book when we do our little write-up, but Pieces of Me, fabulous, and all about woman to woman, how to heal yourself, put yourself back together like a broken piece of pottery, and move on with grace and joy through your life. 100%. Can I say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. This was wonderful talking to you. It's been a pleasure. I say goodbye with great regret. (laughs) Take care. Bye-bye. Bye, Felicity. Thank you so much for listening to Too Young to Be Old podcast. The episode may be over, but the fun doesn't have to stop here. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, 
and YouTube at The Diane Gilman, or visit our website, thedianegilman.com. If you like the show, leave us a rating or a review and subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And until then, don't forget, age is just a number. Together, we'll prove that we are all too young to be old.